0: There was an engineer. Choo choo Charlie was his name, we hear. He had an engine and he sure had fun. He used good and plenty candy to make his train run. Charlie says, Love my going and plenty.
1: Charlie says, Really rings the bell. Charlie says, Love my going and plenty. Don't know
0: any other candy that I love so well. Another public service announcement from Brill Cream.
2: Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you tuned into the Ravings of a Clown on just Radio.
1: <laughs> Don't argue
0: with the ball. Roger. We'll go. It's as good as done.
2: The complete solution for your home PC.
0: don't need no water let the motherfucker burn burn
1: motherfucker <coughs>
2: <coughs> right baby it's a woke that jack baby she wing Hey, 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 good evening and welcome to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. Come on in. Make yourself to home. Have a seat. Feet up. Head back.
0: The other white meat. S- and now
2: I'm hung like planet Pluto Hard to see with the naked eye But if I crash into Uranus I won't stick it where the sun don't shine Cause I'm kind of like Han Solo Like a Han Solo, baby You can call my cookie Cookie Oh, cookie The roof, the roof The roof is on fire The roof, You know what? Let it go. The roof, the roof, let the motherfucker burn. The is on fire. We'll get to it later. We don't need no water, let, let the, the motherfucker, motherfucker burn. Burn, burn motherfucker. Burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, good evening and welcome to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio this Monday, April the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2008. That'll do, pig. All right. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. Okay. Hey, uh, welcome to the show. Such a show, as Grandma Jester would say. Playing all your favorite shit. Plus, we're going to take a look at what's going on in that sick fucking world of yours. Holy crap, people. Don't you ever give it a rest? Don't you ever take a break? Don't you ever, like, let it slide one week, one day, one hour? No. Of course not. Because then what would I do? What the fuck would I do? And there there is so much happening. Uh, There's this uh, wacko in Austria um, that uh, kept his daughter hidden in the basement for 24 years. Holy crap, what the hell is going on with that? We get one of these stories like once every couple of years, man, but this has got to be the dilly. Wait till you hear what's going on with this guy. Plus, there's all kinds of weather going on, and there's all kinds of shit happening in the election campaign, and we're going to take a look at what's going on in that sick fucking world of mine, as well. And let me tell you, I was over a um, friend's house today, and she was talking about Obama, uh, Barack Obama, who... I got to tell you, you know, I've been talking a lot about Hillary lately, and the one thing I didn't like about Obama was the way he talks. You know, he's got that, like, kind of preachy, sing-songy, you know, like, rhyming thing going on, you know, and I, it, it, she really made me think it's maybe because I'm just a cynical old fuck, but I used to like it when people talk that way. I thought it was, you know, kind of like a hopeful, I liked it when Kennedy talked that way. I liked it when King talked that way. So, and he's not just like a bumper sticker guy, you know, he's got some interesting answers too. And, uh, he talks with his actions, not just his words. So say what you will about this whackadoodle uh, priest, a minister that that uh, um, is in charge of the church that he's been going to, but he wouldn't sell him down the river for the fucking presidency of the United States. And you know as well as I do that almost anybody else would sell their fucking mother down the river. So this guy was loyal as a dog. He said, you know, I could no sooner, uh, you know, forsake him than I would like my own uncle. And it makes you think, you know, I got a fucking bigoted <laughs> uncle too. That says, you know, embarrassing shit. Who doesn't? Anyway, time to turn our attention to the headlines now from higher top Chester Radio Studios in a secret location outside your universe. The National Weather Service says three tornadoes touched down in Virginia. That'll do, Bob. Thanks so much. Meteorologist Brian Jackson says the twister hit Suffolk Colonial Heights. And Brunswick County this afternoon, authorities say at least 200 people were injured. Can you imagine? These things, man, they fucking pop out of nowhere. Authorities say, and they head right for the uh, trailer park. Authorities say at least 200 people were injured. Property damage was widespread. Jackson says the Brunswick County tornado was estimated at 86 miles per hour to 110 miles per hour and cut a 300-yard path of destruction you imagine this, this thing descending on your town? Uh, assessments of the other twisters were planned for tomorrow, but Jackson described Suffolk's as a major tornado. So folks, if you're wondering what to do with that $600 that Bush sent you today, then you may want to consider calling up the Red Cross, seeing what you could do to help these poor bastards in Virginia. Meanwhile, Hillary Hillary Rodham Clinton now leads John McCain by nine points in a head-to-head presidential matchup, according to the AP Ipsos poll that bolsters her argument that she's more electable than uh, Barack Obama. Obama and Republican McCain are running about even. Uh, The survey released today gives New York Senator and former First Lady a fresh talking point as she works to raise much-needed campaign cash and persuade pivotal, undecided superdelegates to side with her. In the drawn-out democratic primary fight, and drawn out indeed it is. Um, unfortunately, we have this system in this country where we don't just get presented with a handful of folks who you know say that they're qualified to do the job, and we get to pick from them. We only get to pick these pre-picked people, and we have these little mini contests going on for the past you know year and a half. It seems like with the caucuses and the primaries. And instead of having to appeal to large numbers of people, they only have to hone their message to these tiny little special interests. So when they have a primary in North Carolina, they talk about whatever the fuck, chewing tobacco, I don't know, whatever the hell they do down there. And then when they go to Alabama, they talk about, you know, fucking your sister, whatever is interesting to them. And that's instead of, you know, uh, uh, having, you know, 10 or 20 people getting up and saying, this is my position on health care, this is my position on, you know, uh, mandatory abortions, whatever the fuck the subject is, and then let you choose who you want by what he says he's going to do. But we don't have that at all. That would be too much like, uh, I don't know what you call it, democracy. Instead, we have a republic where we choose people who choose people who choose people that choose people. And so uh, we only get to choose between, eventually we'll get to choose between John McCain for the, you know, for the people that, you know, are for the war, basically, and against homos, or either Clinton or Obama. We don't get to choose between the three. We'll only get to choose between one of those two it will be whittled down for us. So now we know that Clinton is more electable if she goes up against McCain than Obama would be if he went up against McCain. McCain, you getting all this? Both Democrats were roughly even with McCain in the previous poll, about three weeks ago. Since then, Clinton won the Pennsylvania primary, raising questions anew about whether Obama can attract broad swaths of voters needed to triumph in such big states. Come uh, the fall, when the Democratic nominee will go up against McCain. At the same time. Obama was thrown on the defensive by his comment that residents of small-town America were bitter. He made this comment, you know, that uh, meanwhile, you know, small-town Americans are sitting at home bitter and clinging to their religion and their guns, which may be (laughs) a cynical thing to say, but I can't think of any truer words. I don't think there's any question that over the last three weeks her stature has improved, said Harrison Hickman. The Democratic pollster unaligned in the primary, he attributed Clinton's gains to people moving from the infatuation stage of choosing the candidate that they most likely to a decision-making stage where they determine who's going to make the best president. So maybe uh, Obama's got that you know, new guy appeal, but uh, when it comes down to it, you know maybe America doesn't want to risk uh, the, the whole schmear with the new guy. Maybe that's the worry. The children locked in the basement never saw the light of day for years. A retired electrician in uh, Amstetten, Austria, has uh, confessed to imprisoning his daughter for 24 years. Can you imagine never fucking going seeing the light of day, being in a dungeon for 24 years, and fathering seven children with her in a windowless cell sealed by an electronic keyless entry system. So he had this, you had to punch in a code to get into this special bunker that he built. He had lured her in there 24 years ago and then drugged her and chained her to the wall and kept her, his own daughter, his child. He kept her a sex slave there since she was 18. He was probably afraid that she was turned 18 she was going to run off. He had been raping her since she was 11 years old. One of the children died in infancy and was tossed into the furnace of what stunned Austrians have labeled a house of horrors. The suspect owned the Greystone apartment building, lived there with his family and rented other units to relatives. Nobody knew what was going on. Austria is still scandalized by a 2006 case involving a girl who was kidnapped and imprisoned in a basement outside of Vienna for more than eight years and residents of this working-class town west of the capital were puzzled as to how this latest incident could go undetected for so long. Questions were being raised as to how the suspect, identified as Josef Fritzl, 73, deceived his neighbors, social workers, and police for all this time. How is it possible that no one knew anything for 24 years? Said Anita Fabian, a teacher in in Amstetten. This was not possible without accomplices. And this, by the way, comes from the you know from a, a bunch of people, you know, who know about such things because the Holocaust, um, which you know took place in Austria every bit as much as it did in you know everywhere in Eastern Europe and Western Europe. Um, had h- tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of willing accomplices, who knowingly, you know, l- turned and looked the other way, knowing full well what was going on. So they know of what they speak when they say this couldn't have happened without people knowing. Fritzel was placed in pr- uh, pre detention, faces up to fifteen years if charged, tried and convicted on rape charges, the most grave of his alleged offenses under Austrian law. So raping is the most grave. The imprisonment for 24 years is not as bad. Police released Fritzl's full name and photograph at a news conference today after his identity was widely reported by the media and elsewhere. Fritzl, he was born in 1935 and was a young child when the uh, Nazis annexed Austria before World War II. His daughter, who's now 42, was 18 when she was imprisoned in the cell constructed deep beneath the family's apartment in the building. According to uh, Franz Polzer, head of the Lower Austrian Bureau of Criminal Affairs, he admitted that he locked his daughter in the cellar, that he repeatedly had sex with her, that he is the father of her seven children. According to police, Elizabeth said she gave birth to twins in 1996, but one of them died uh, several days later, so he tossed them in the oven. Where else? Police said the surviving children and three boys and three girls, the youngest of whom Uh, is five years old. The oldest is 19. And they're now taking DNA on everybody to figure out who goes with whom. Uh, Investigators said they were trying to determine how the victims could have been hidden away for so long from uh, other families in the building and everyone else of this town of 23,000 people. Uh, He managed to deceive everyone, including his wife, who apparently was unaware of the existence of her own children and grandchildren in the cellar. Uh, He had seven children, Uh, with his wife, on top of the seven that he had with his daughter. Officials say that three of the secret children never saw sunlight until they were freed, just three days ago. Um, What he did was, he told his wife when he imprisoned his daughter, supposedly, he told his wife that she, back in 1984, had uh, joined a cult and disappeared. And, uh, you know, nobody ever. And then and then the, when the three kids showed up on the doorstep, they took them in. This is where he, he, he told his wife that he found the three of the seven kids. Apparently, the woman couldn't care for all seven in the basement, so he had to take some of them up out of the basement. So it's just an unbelievable fucking mess. So you can imagine this five-year-old... Uh, and this 18 and this 19-year-old never saw the light of day they lived. This 19-year-old woman lived her entire life in the cellar. And what happened was the 19-year-old got very sick. She had been sick for some time and um, she, you know, begged and begged and finally they he agreed to let them go to the hospital, made up some bullshit story, you know, uh, forced them to remember it, but then they... As soon as they got to the hospital, they just spilled the beans. My fucking father has been fucking me in the basement for 24 years. I'm I'm a prisoner. My kids are prisoners. my, My kids are his kids. I mean, she just fucking sang like a pigeon. Good for her. Because so many times you hear these stories of people who are in a situation where they're imprisoned and then they're let out and they just, you know, come back. They succumb. Because, you know, God knows what the fuck he's telling him. You know, if you don't come back, I'll kill your mother, I'll kill your kids, you know, I'll kill the other three that I got at home. Who knows what kind of, I mean, the guy's not even human. You imagine what kind of monster even would, would do something, you know, like this, chain up somebody for a day and that for a day, but for 24 years and not just somebody, but his own child, his own child. I mean, it, it just breaks my fucking heart, man, to think of what this poor woman has gone through. She's 42 years old, 24 years of which she's been being raped by her father on a daily basis. And, you know, what compounds it is the fact that over those 24 years, you would think a living, breathing human would somehow, on some occasion, you know, would soften, you would hope. That some humanity would surface over the years and think, man, what a sick fuck I am. I got to put an end to this. You know, there's this evil part of me that's taking over, but before it completely consumes me, uh, but not nothing. 24 years. That's the killer. Hey, you tuned into the Ravings of a Clown on Jest Radio, and who can forget where they were back in 1963 when they first heard. Uh, The jester himself asked that immortal question, how many roads must a man walk down before you can call him a man? And of course, if you're a Douglas Adams fan, you know the answer is 42. Don't touch that dial. How many
0: roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? How many seas must the white dove sail? Is blowing in the wind, the answer is blowing in the wind.
2: How many times must a man look up before he can see the sky? And how many ears must one man have before he can hear people cry? And how many deaths will it take till he knows that too many people have died? The jester himself on Jester Radio. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown this Monday, April the 28th. We've been uh, talking about this guy, Fritzl, in Amstetten, Austria. He was a Nazi youth, 72 years old. And, uh, you know... uh, you gotta ask yourself man what kind of uh human and from time to time you know you hear about these stories in fact in austria there was a famous case just a few years ago of this kid who was found after eight years she was abducted by a stranger and but it's similar you know he kept her as you know the sex slave you know psychologically fucked with her and and tortured her you know mentally the whole time and you know had unconsensual sex, whatever you want to call it, it's rape. Even if she, after a while, submitted, you know, she was still a prisoner. And and you hear these stories from time to time. There was one very famous one in the United States many years ago where this guy kept this woman in a box underneath his bed. I shit you not. And she lived in it all day long. Until he took her out to torture her and, you know, rape her with his wife, who was in on it. And when uh, he wasn't torturing and raping her, he was making her babysit the children. And he, you know, like, went through this whole thing that he was part of this international conglomerate and made her sign this slavery contract that, you know, if she didn't submit, that her family would be hunted down and killed, you know. Just this, like, you know, insane mind torture And A, you got to ask yourself, who are these fucking people that are so vulnerable in this, you know, world that we live in, in this modern world that we live in, that can be suckered into something like this and, you know, wouldn't spend every waking split second trying to con their way out of a situation like that, that would actually fall prey to this type of mind fucking? And B, who are these people? That actually have this fantasy. What's going on with the fucking human race? You don't see this happening. You don't see like elk and deer in the woods, you know, kidnapping each other and keeping them captive in a fucking cave so they can, you know, rape them. You just don't see this in the animal kingdom. What the fuck is going on with us? That we that 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 some of us have this fucking brain defect where this is what we want in life. We want a sex slave. We want somebody to, we want to be the cause of somebody's sadness and pain as much as possible. What the fuck makes a person so sick to want to do that? It's not about the sex. It's not about, you know, there are millions of ways that a human can bring pleasure to themselves. It's got to be about inflicting pain and fear and sadness and horror in somebody else. So it's got to come from like a great, uh, a deep rage. Something uh, happened to them that made them so angry that uh, they want to inflict pain on somebody else. This is what we got going. And the more we keep doing whatever the fuck it is we're doing that's creating these people, the more these people we're going to have. And we're going to have to start addressing this. I don't know how. Maybe we need to have like an annual basement search of the land. I mean, you know, (laughs) I'm a big fan of the Fourth Amendment and all, but man. Man. Poor kids, man. I'm, i I got to tell you, man, it fu- it fucks me up. I can't stop thinking about it. More than half the teens, uh, meanwhile, taken from this polygamous compound in West Texas, uh, have children or are pregnant, according to the state officials today. total of 53 girls between the ages of 14 and 17 are in state custody after a raid three and a half weeks ago at the Yearning for Zion Ranch in El Dorado, Texas. Of these girls... Of the 53 girls between 14 and 17, 31 either have children or are currently pregnant, according to the Child Protection Services. Two are currently pregnant. The uh, CPS officials uh, said in court it was unclear whether either of those two already have children because they're like a mishmash. It shows you a pretty distinct pattern that it was uh, pretty per- pervasive, he said. State officials took custody. We saw these women on the Larry King show last week. Uh, they showed him around their home, and they seemed so, like, calm. And uh, And he said, so what's the deal? Do you, Are they marrying children off at 13 and 14? And the first one said, not that I've seen. And then he says, what about you, uh, the second one? Not that I've seen. They were, like, fucking zombies it was really freaky nobody could have seen that and come away with any other impression other than they were lying sacks of shit and these are these kids mothers and this has happened to themselves so not only are they lying that they were married and being raped by 50 year olds when they were children but they're lying and protecting the people who are doing it to their own children got to fucking ask yourself, man, what kind of mother would do that? State officials took custody of all 463 children at the ranch, controlled by the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, saying a pattern of teen girls forced into underage spiritual marriages and sex with much older uh, men created an unsafe environment for the sex children. Under Texas law, children under the age of 17 generally cannot consent to sex with an adult, a girl can get married with parental permission at 16, but none of these girls is believed to have illegal marriage under state law. State officials said earlier that they found girls who were pregnant or had children of their own at the ranch, but they have not provided more than rough estimates until just today. Church officials have denied that any children were abused at the ranch and say that the state's actions are a form of religious persecution. By the way, um, the guy that's in charge of this whole whackadoodle sect is, um, is this Jeff's character, and um, this is the position, of course, that he's taken. He was uh, thrown in the huskale last month on um, you know charges that he set up a marriage between like some thirteen-year-old kid and like her forty-one-year-old cousin. So uh, you know, basically, assisting in you know child uh, rape. But he is claiming now, of course, that it's just you know they're all against the religion, nothing to do with the raping of the children, it's they're persecuting them. No one's been charged since the raid, which was prompted by a series of calls to the domestic abuse hotline purportedly from a sixteen year old who had been forced into a marriage recognized only by the sect with a man three times her age. Uh, this girl has not been found, and now, by the way, there's stories that the girl was actually this uh, wacky 40-year-old woman that's been making these phony phone calls to 911 for years and claiming she's like a 16-year-old kid getting raped. So she's uh, may have triggered this whole th- investigation. So, Hillary Rodham Clinton criticized Barack Obama today for opposing proposals to suspend federal gas taxes this summer, a plan that she and Republican John McCain have endorsed. So... If the both of them have endorsed it, maybe you got to question it. Obama didn't take debate, He ignored Clinton and focused on McCain. My opponent, Senator Obama, opposes giving consumers a break from the gas tax, Clinton said in a firehouse. I understand the American people need some relief, she said, implying that Obama just doesn't get it. And by the way, these phony baloney tax cuts, this is a Republican uh, gimmick. Let's temporarily cut the you know tax. Like, this is going to help anybody. For, you know, if you walk away from the pump and it costs 50 cents less. Obama said motorists will not benefit significantly from suspending the gas tax. This is his solution to the problems of the energy crisis and your gas bills, Obama told several thousand in a noisy rally in Wilmington. Keep in mind that the federal gas tax is about 5% of your gas bill. If it lasts for three months, you're going to save about 30 bucks or a half a tank of gas. The idea to suspend the 18.4 cent federal gas tax. And the 24.4 cent diesel tax from Memorial Day to Labor Day was first proposed by McCain, uh, the likely uh, Republican presidential nominee, as a way to lessen the pain at the pump for consumers this summer. Clinton said she would make up the lost revenue by imposing a windfall profits tax on oil companies. If we suspended it made up lost revenues, that's the best of both worlds, she said. I got an idea. How about let's just get the oil companies to pay their fair share instead of this phony baloney windfall profit? Because it's not a windfall profit. It's their profit. That's what they do for a living. They sell gas. And if you were in the business, then you would try and sell it for as much as you could, too. It's, it's the American way, for crying out loud. States can require voters to produce photo identification. The Supreme Court ruled today upholding a Republican-inspired law that Democrats say will keep some poor, older, and minority voters from casting ballots. Twenty-five states require some form of ID, and the court's six-to-three decision rejecting a challenge to Indiana's strict voter ID law could encourage others to adopt their own measures. Oklahoma legislators said the decision should help them get a version improved. The ruling means that the ID requirement will be in effect for next week's presidential primary in Indiana where a significant number of new voters are expected to turn out for the Democratic contest between uh, Hillary and Barack. The results could say something about the effect of the law either because a large number of voters will lack the ID and be forced to cast provisional ballots or because the numbers, uh, the turnouts, uh, is going to be small. So, of course, the Republicans... Are behind this uh, plan to uh, make it a law that you have to have a photo ID because you know this is the the realm of the you know the the leisure class the people who have time to take off from their jobs uh, to go downtown and wait online all day and you know figure out how to fill out the forms um, you know poor people and older people are more likely to be intimidated by the whole process and not have access. these places. They can't get on the internet. They don't know who to call. They don't know where to go to get the ID. Even if it's free, um, they don't know how to get the paperwork to produce to get the ID. It's a burden to them. And that's the whole idea. The Republicans want it to be a burden to the old and the minorities because uh, they vote Democrat. So, of course, your Supreme Court, who is, you know, now right leaning um, upheld the law, Rudy Giuliani should not have received Holy Communion during the Pope 's visit because the former presidential candidate supports abortion rights, according to Cardinal Edward Egan today. You remember uh, John Kerry uh, couldn 't get uh, eat the eat the cracker because he supported abortion rights. Uh, Egan said that he had an understanding with Giuliani that he is not to receive the Eucharist, the Catholic Church teaches that abortion is a grave offense against the will of God. And who knows better than the, about the will of God than a bunch of uh, homo pedophiles. The Cardinal said today that Giuliani broke that understanding when he received the Eucharist during Pope Benedict's uh, visit earlier this month. He received communion during the April 19th service from one of the many clergymen who offered the sacrament. So apparently he was okay with the Pope. <laughs> just not okay with the fucking Cardinal. And what I love is the fact that these guys are so stupid, they're actually arguing in public. (laughs) They don't do this all secretly. They do it in the the press, as if the rest of us could give a flying fuck. Egan said that he'll be seeking a meeting with Giuliani to insist that he abide by our understanding. Giuliani spokeswoman Sonny Mendel said today that he's willing to meet with the Cardinal, but added that his faith is a deeply personal matter and should remain confidential. In other words... Even the Cardinal should butt the fuck out. Egan's statement does not address the fact that Giuliani is on his third marriage, meanwhile. Catholics who divorce and remarry without getting an annulment from the Church also can't receive communion, so he's disqualified on a number of levels. Spokesman for Egan said that the Cardinal referred to the abortion issue rather than to Giuliani's marital history because the agreement that Giuliani would not receive communion predated the divorce. So it was moot, as they say in the Catholic Church. I mean the courts. Giuliani's first marriage was annulled based on the fact that he and his wife were second cousins. <laughs> uh, then he married uh, Hanover in 1984. They divorced in 2002 while he was the mayor. He's been married to uh, the former Judith Nathan since 2003. Communion and abortion rights became a storyline in 04 when Democratic President nominee John Kerry, a Catholic, came under scrutiny for supporting abortion rights, which conflict with uh, church teaching. And by the way, why does the church um, forbid abortion? Well, that's a good question. Some people uh, think uh, that uh, it's because they hold a very high regard um, for life and think that all life comes from the uh, grand sacred uh, mystic puba in the sky and you don't fuck with anything that he, you know, produces. So that could be it. Or it could be that they want complete control over your mind and body and deciding to have an abortion is a very personal um, thing and they just can't keep their fucking noses out from up your ass. Anything that's going on in your bedroom or your hospital room, Or your, you know, private study, they want a piece of. Some people say it's that. You know what I say? I say you got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend. When I was down, you just stood there grinning. It's more of the Jester on Jester Radio. Don't fuck with that dial.
0: You got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend. They're grinning You got a lot of nerve to say you got a helping hand to lend You just want to be on the side that's winning Behind my back, I used to be among the crowd you're in with. Do you take me for such a fool to think I'd make contact with one who tries to hide? Surprised. You say, how are you? Good luck, but you don't mean it. When you know as well as me, you'd rather see me paralyzed. Why don't you just come out once and good when I see the heartbreaks you embrace If I was a master thief perhaps I'd rob them And though I know you're dissatisfied with your position and your place Don't you understand it's not my You could stand inside my shoes And just for that one moment I could be you Yes, I wish that for just one time You could stand inside my shoes You'd know what a drag it is to see
2: I wish that for just one time you could stand inside my shoes and just for that one moment I could be you. I wish that for just one time you could stand inside my shoes. You'd know what a drag it is to see you. (laughs) It's the Jester himself on Jester Radio. And you're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown this Monday, April the 28th. A man who called 911 after his friend survived a 50-foot, rather a 500-foot fall at a strip mine was charged today with pushing him over the edge. While Nathan Bowman recovered from broken bones and other injuries in the hospital, Richard D. George was sent to Skullkill County Prison in lieu of $10,000 bail. Authorities said in court documents that George, uh, after telling a story that didn't add up, admitted under questioning that he pushed Bowman into the canyon-shaped mine around 1 a.m. on Friday after they got into an argument. We still don't know exactly what they were doing in this uh, strip mine canyon. Uh, George was charged with aggravated assault, reckless endangerment, and other offenses. They say that the uh, two 23-year-old guys were trespassing on coal company property. Um, uh, Bowman, uh, the guy who was the, the pushy, the guy who fell... Uh, is from uh, Tamaqua, Pennsylvania. He broke his collarbone and tailbone, suffered injuries to his wrist and ankle uh, when he went over the side of the Springdale Pit, which is an inactive coal mine about 700 feet deep, 300 feet long, and 1,500 feet wide. Um, We called him on the phone, and he sounded pretty wasted. He said, I just want to say thank you to everyone who rescued me. Asked how he was doing. He said, I'm still alive, and that he was in a lot of pain. George called 911 and initially claimed that somebody else had come running out of the mine and yelled um, as they ran by that someone fell into the pit. According to uh, this uh, affidavit of probable cause, he later admitted uh, he pushed uh, Bowman. State police used a helicopter, floodlights, and thermal imaging to try to pinpoint his location uh, in the pit about 90 miles northwest of Philadelphia, but they couldn't find him in the darkness and they called off the search. At daybreak. A short time later, an employee with the Lehigh Coal, uh, Coal and Navigation Company, which owns this uh, pit, uh, and the uh, Coaldale police went back to the spot where he was believed to have fallen and then heard him yelling for help. Two firefighters rappelled to his location, loaded him into a basket, and then all three were hoisted back out. Uh, Bowman says he can't really recall anything about his tumble. He does remember seeing the police helicopter. He says he may have lost consciousness at some point. Uh, He declined to say why he and uh, his friend, um, George Nathan, uh, uh, Richard uh, George, were uh, in the uh, coal mine (laughs) at 4 o'clock in the morning. Meanwhile, the guy, they both face trespassing charges on top of everything else. New research challenges the notion that you can be fat and fit, finding that being active can lower but not eliminate heart risks faced by heavy women. It doesn't take away the risk entirely. Weight still matters, according to Martha Gulata, a heart specialist at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Previous research has gone back and forth on whether exercise or weight has a greater influence on heart disease risks. The new study involving about 39,000 women help sort out the combined effects of physical activity and body mass on women's chances of developing heart disease. Um, The study by uh, Harvard-affiliated researchers appears in today's Archives of Internal Medicine. Participants were women aged 54 on average. Uh, They filled out a questionnaire at the study's start detailing their height, weight, and amount of weekly physical activity in the past year, including whether they did any walking, jogging, bicycling, swimming, and then they were tracked for 11 years. Overall, uh, 948 of the women, uh, of the f- you know nearly 40,000 women, developed heart disease. Uh, they were considered active if they followed government-recommended guidelines and got at least 30 minutes of moderate activity uh, most days of the week, which includes brisk walking or jogging. Women who got less than that were considered inactive. Weight was evaluated by body mass index. Uh, BMI between 25 and 29 is considered overweight and uh, obese is a uh, BMI of 30 or higher. Compared with normal weight active women, the risk for developing heart disease was 54% higher in overweight active women and 87, 87% in obese active women. By contrast, it was 88% higher in overweight inactive women and two and a half times greater in obese, inactive women. About two in five U.S. women at age 50 will eventually develop heart attacks or other cardiovascular problems. Excess weight can raise those odds in many ways, including by increasing blood pressure, uh, risk for diabetes, worsening cholesterol, and exercise counteracts all of this. It's reassuring to see that the physical activity really does make an impact said lead author Dr. Amy Weinstein of, Boston, of Boston's Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. However, she added, if you're overweight or obese, you really can't get back to that lower risk entirely with just physical activity alone. So you got to lose the weight, and you have to be active every day. So this is what we keep learning, um, and it just makes sense because the heavier you are, the harder your body's got to work. And let me tell you, um, I was in Boston's Beth Israel Hospital. I was in there for ten long days when a dog bit me. I came, I went out, and I was walking Jeff's dog, Corey, and uh, they he got into a fight with another dog, and I pulled the dog. I was literally waving my arm up and down, and this dog was on my arm. It was like a cartoon, and I pulled the dog finally off my wrist. And like threw him across the street. And I barely made it home. I lost so much blood. And uh, I like I get back to the apartment I'm, and I knock on the door. And Jeff's like, who is it? What is What do you want? I'm not dressed. And I'm like, open the fucking door. And I go into the kitchen and there's blood pouring out of my wrist. Just pouring. There's this big puncture wound in my wrist. And uh, she's just... You know, brings me into the kitchen and starts rinsing it out under the cold water. And she goes, Okay, we just wait here a moment. And she goes out of the room and like, comes back a minute later and she keeps, goes back to like rinsing my arm and putting a towel on it. And I said, What? We? <laughs> I thought she was like going to get some medicine or like a bandage or something. So I said, Where did you go? She said, Oh, I just had to uh, run into the uh, bathroom and uh, vomit. So I spent 10 days in the uh, Boston's Beth Israel uh, Hospital. So that has nothing to do with the report, but I just thought you'd be interested. In a defiant appearance before the Washington media, the Reverend Jeremiah Wright said today the criticism surrounding his fiery sermons is an attack on the black church, and he rejected those who have labeled him unpatriotic. So this guy, has, this guy is just in show business, as most preachers are. And he is loving this limelight. He doesn't care that, A, he's fucking up Obama, and, B, Obama could have thrown him to the fucking lions like that and didn't, and he's still fucking with him. I served six years in the military, Barack Obama's longtime pastor said. Does that make me patriotic? How many years did Dick Cheney serve? Wright spoke at the National Press Conference before reporters and a supportive audience of black church leaders beginning a two-day symposium He said the black church tradition is not bombastic or controversial, but different and misunderstood by the dominant culture in the U.S. He said his Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago has a long history of liberating the oppressed by feeding the hungry, supporting recovery for the addicted, and helping senior citizens in need. He said congregants have fought in the military, including Afghanistan and Iraq. My goddaughter's unit just arrived in Iraq this week, while those who call me unpatriotic have used their positions of of privilege to avoid military service while sending over 4,000 American boys and girls to die over a lie, he said. Well, not a single word there I disagree with. Wright seemed to relish the chance to speak out after weeks of being uh, derided in the press. He revealed in his retorts high-fiving an audience member pointing and winking at his supporters and mocking descriptions of him as Obama's spiritual mentor. I'm a pastor. He's a member. I'm not a spiritual mentor. Voodoo, he said, leaning into the microphone and wiggling his fingers in the air like he was conducting a seance. Wright has been Obama's pastor for more than 20 years. He brought Obama to Christianity, inspired the title of his book, The Audacity of Hope, officiated at his wedding, baptized his daughters. Wright also told reporters today that he prayed privately with his family right before Obama announced that he was running for president, although he didn't appear with him publicly. Obama has said he disagreed at times with Wright, but video clips of some of the preacher's most controversial remarks have been widely distributed on TV and the Internet, and have been damaging to Obama's campaign. In the sermon days after the September 11 attacks, Wright said America's chickens are coming home to roost. Uh, Asked what he meant by that, uh, Wright challenged the reporter questioning him. Have you heard the whole sermon? He responded, no, you haven't heard the whole sermon. That nullifies the question. Well, that's a stupid thing to say. You can't nullify a question. (laughs) It's not up to him to determine the criteria under which people get to ask questions. He said criticism comes from people who have only heard sound bites playing repeatedly on TV and have never listened to his entire sermons. By the way, this chickens coming home to roost thing is a real common thing in the Christian community. And I actually had a conversation with somebody today about this. And, you know, he's from down south, and he had this sort of sense, too, Part of him, you know felt horrified and you know uh, at the nine eleven attacks, but part of him felt that this was god 's vengeance on the United States for all the bad things that we 've been doing in the world, and this is because this is what Christianity teaches this is what all hocus pocus this is what all superstition teaches that there 's a monster in the sky that doles out punishment uh, and and, and, uh, determines if you've been good or bad. He's like an evil Santa Claus. And by the way, I'm not sure who he was punishing that day because he really didn't punish uh, anybody except those 3,000 people that died in in the Twin Towers and over um, in that field in in Pennsylvania and and in the Pentagon. So those are the people that were punished and, uh, and you know, many of those were small children who must have uh, seen their death coming for several minutes and were, you know, living an incomprehensible uh, nightmare, a living nightmare. And so what, what, what the fuck they did uh, <laughs> to be punished, I can't even begin to imagine. But this is a very common theme. Uh, among the religious people that when something, you know, random bad happens, uh, since there's got to be somebody in charge, uh, then he's the one that, um, you know, made it happen. You know, it only makes sense unless, you know, you know anything about science. Here's one of the great story songs of all time, again by the master jester himself. Just imagine... Pistol shots ring out in a barroom night. Enter Patty Valentine from the upper hall. She sees a bartender in a pool of blood and cries out, My God!
0: Where things go If you're black You might as well Not show up On the street lest you wanna Draw the heat I just Fighting for his name, while well, out the Arthur Dexter Bradley's still in the robbery game, and the cops are putting the screws to him, looking for somebody to play. Remember that murder that you happened in a bar. Remember you said you saw the getaway car. it like to play ball with the law. I think it might have been that fighter that you saw. I'm really not sure. The cops that a poor boy like you can use his break. We got you for the motel job and you're talking to your friend fellow You don't want to have to go back to jail, be a nice fellow. You'll be doing society a favor. That son of a bitch is brave at getting Just one punch, but he never did like to talk about it all that much. It's my work, he'd say, and i do it for pay. And when it's over, just as soon go on my way. Up to some paradise, where the trout streams flow and the air is nice. And ride a horse along the trail. A chance. The judge made Rupert's witnesses, drunkards, the slums. To the white folks who watched, he was a revolutionary bird. And to the black folks, he was just a crazy nigger. No one doubted that he pulled the trigger. And though they could not produce the gun, the DA said he was the one who did the deed. And the old Algeria agreed. Was falsely tried. The crime was better, one guess who testified? Beto and Bradley, and they both all they lied. And the newspapers, they all went along for the ride. How can the life of such a man be in the palm of some fool's hand? To see him obviously. And girls in the coats and the ties, I'm free to drink martinis and watch the sunrise. While well, Ruben sits like Buddha in a ten-foot cell, an innocent man in a living hell. This yes, that's the story of Hurricane, but it won't be over till they clear his name and give him back the time he's done. Put in a prison cell, but one time he could have been the champion of the world.
2: All of Ruben's cards were marked in advance. The trial was a pig circus. Never had a chance. The judge made Ruben's witnesses drunkards from the slums. And to the white folks who watched, he was a revolutionary bum. And to the black folks, he was just a crazy nigger. No one doubted that he pulled the trigger. And though they could not produce the gun, the DA said he was the one who did the deed. And the all-white jury agreed. Reuben Carter was falsely tried. The crime was murder one. Guess who testified, Bellow and Bradley? And they both, oh, they lied. And the newspapers, they all went along for the ride. How can the life of such a man be in the palm of some fool's hand to see him obviously framed? Couldn't help but make you feel ashamed to live in a land where justice is a game. There's some pretty pretty dense fucking lyrics there, man. I tell you, we could spend a couple of days talking about those lyrics. Brilliant uh, storytelling by the master himself, Robert Allen Zimmerman. In case you haven't noticed, we're dedicating uh, our evening to just a tiny little sampling of music uh, from the fellow for whom we've named our radio station after and for whom um you know started us on this uh, long uh, journey in music bob dylan and um you know sometimes uh, his music is um is very personal like uh, positively fourth street sometimes it's sort of um, um sort of very um philosophical like blowing in the wind and sometimes it's really um uh, Pointed and angry, like uh, the story of the hurricane that we just heard. But in all cases, it's really dense. There's a lot happening in those words. And um, they just uh, sort of uh, beg for analysis and re-listening and, uh, and just uh, trying to c- comprehend what the fuck is going on there with those words. And uh, he sort of started the whole ball rolling there from, you know, music that was, you know, just uh, sort of uh, the lyrics were just about pr- uh, promoting the melody and the rest of the song, the, the words were just another instrument to uh, really making the words count. And, uh, you know, folks started saying, you know, hey, turn up the radio, I can't hear the words. The government began disposing tax rebate checks and thousands of bank accounts today as the stimulus program aimed at giving the ailing economy a jump start got underway early. The Internal Revenue Service started making the direct deposits uh, today with the goal of completing 800,000 payments each day over the first three days of this week. No deposits will be made on Thursday while they prepare a big batch of $5 million direct deposits on Friday. So this is the schedule. So everybody's gonna get their check uh, deposited in their bank account, and we'll see, all the money, people are gonna start spending their money this week. (laughs) And that's gonna fix the economy. The IRS is expected to begin the program in May, was able, in May rather, but was able to start a few days earlier by utilizing a computer system that can process payments on a daily basis. The government's paper checks will start going out in May, uh, on May 9th, a week earlier than previously announced, the rebates, which are expected to reach 130 million households, range up to 600 bucks for an individual and up to 1200 bucks for married couples, plus $300 for eligible children under 17. The rebates were the centerpiece of the government's $168 billion economic stimulus package enacted back in February and are designed to bolster consumer spending and lift the economy out of the doldrums. The first wave of payments are going to people who opted for their uh, direct deposit on their 2007 income tax returns. Both the direct deposit payments and the paper check uh, payments are being processed by the two last digits of your Social Security number. So that's what it's going by. For people receiving direct deposits, those with Social Security numbers ending in 0 to 20 will have their payment... uh, by Friday. Those with Social Security numbers from 21 to 75, ending in those two digits, will get their direct deposits by May 9th, and those with the numbers 76 to 99 are all going to get their money by May 16th. So, within the next two weeks, everybody gets their money. And for those people getting paper checks, the last of the paper checks um, will, will be from 88 to 99 will be by July 11th. So everybody should have their money sometime between now and six weeks from now. <laughs> That'll give the economy a boost. So everybody, and what are you going to do with your three to $1,200? If you're a couple, it's $1,200 maximum. So if you're like in the upper, you know, whatever percent, so what are you going to do with your money? Well, most people are going to pay, you know, the, the pay off the two months they're behind in their mortgage, of course. The payment schedule covers people who filed early enough to have their tax returns processed by April fifteenth. The IRS is continuing to urge people who did not file returns because they don't owe taxes to file, because then they can get a check. People who do not have to file a tax return but have at least three thousand dollars in qualifying income may be eligible for an economic stimulus payment of 300 bucks for an individual and 600 for a couple plus 300 per kid. So even if you didn't pay taxes, you still got a check coming. Even if you're not supposed to pay taxes because you didn't make enough, you still may have a check coming to you. How does that make sense? We know there are many people who are eligible for economic stimulus payment who have not filed a tax return. According to IRS Commissioner Doug Shulman, if you think you may be eligible, even if you don't normally file a tax return, please check it out. People who have not filed tax returns until October 15th of this year to do so, in order to receive a stimulus payment, the simple form 1040A, along with directions on what lines must be completed for the stimulus payments, can be obtained by going to the uh, irs.gov website. And by the way, they're logging your IP address. The U.S. fence along the Mexican border is less a wall than a stuttering set of blockades, half barrier, half gaps. Americans are split pretty much the same way, half in favor, half against. Passionate on both sides when it comes to the idea of erecting a wall to keep people from entering the country illegally. It can seem a shaky foundation as the U.S. rushes to complete the fencing on nearly 700 miles of the border by the end of the year. That's when a new administration arrives in the White House with its own ideas about security, freedom, and the 11 million illegal immigrants already here and the uh, prospect of many more on the way. Nearly half complete, the multi-billion dollar fence project stretches from the Pacific surf at Tijuana to the Gulf of Mexico near Brownsville, Texas. The message it sends are decidedly mixed. For Representative Peter King, the New York Republican who wrote the legislation to build the fence message is simple. Don't sneak into America. We're taking control of our borders. For others, the fence is inconsistent with a country founded by immigrants and priding itself in opportunity. Homeland Security Secretary Michael Chertoff says it's simply a new law enforcement device, part of a multi-pronged crackdown on the flow of illegal immigrants. The government also has hired more border agents, stepped up enforcements nationwide, and increased penalties for those who don't follow the law. So this argument sort of runs down the middle of people who it seems are somehow affected by it and the people who aren't. So the people who are affected by it are the people who have loved ones or relatives or they themselves are illegal immigrants and they think that you know they would like the the enforcement to be you know reduced so that they're people that they care about can get away with it similar to like the pot people uh the pot people also would like less enforcement because they want to get away with it they think it's okay for them to do so the thing that i don't agree with of course is that mexico like every other country also has closed borders and in fact it's a felony in mexico to illegally cross their border unlike in the united states where it's not a felony so um They put you in prison for sneaking into the country. And the truth is, you know, we don't live in, we don't, you know, the world doesn't have open borders. We live in a world where everybody requires some form of governmental registration when you pass through national borders. I would love in my lifetime to see the day when all countries threw open their borders and said, welcome in, come one, come all. Put me down to be the first one to go along with that. But until that time, the truth is countries are not public resources. The Mexicans, or at least some Mexicans, I think, feel that they have a right, that the United States stole their land, and now they should you know, go be, be able to come back and work the land, and that it's somehow like a right, and the fact is it's not. A country is like a private club, and you get to decide who comes into your country and who doesn't, and it's not about the fucking Mexicans anyway. It's about the fact that uh, these disingenuous pricks who claim that they care about humanity and that's why they want to open the borders, most of them are really the secret reason is because they pay less. They get to exploit these people, these poor bastards, because for them, you know, a buck fifty an hour is a fortune. And that's what they fucking pay them. And they whine and say, well, you know, Americans won't, you know, work. Those they won't do those jobs, but let me tell you something. Have you ever seen that show on TV called Dirty Jobs? (laughs) Americans will do any fucking thing if you pay them enough. Don't believe it, don't believe only the Mexicans will do it. If you paid them a decent wage, something that is you know makes sense for stooping over all day and picking cotton or whatever the fuck these poor bastards are doing, then sure, you'd have to raise the price of lettuce, you know, 10 cents a head, but at least Americans would be, you know getting paid fairly so what these people mean when they say americans won't do these jobs is americans won't do these jobs for peanuts like we you know can get the mexicans to do and that's not fair it's not fair to americans to, to fair and square the church going god-fearing tax-paying americans hey you're listening to the ravings of a clown got something to say about it Got our phone lines open, 646-502-8600. And this is not one of these uh, Bahama phone numbers where if you call it, you get charged like 300 bucks an hour. Uh, this is just like a regular downtown New York City uh, telephone line. And and from your cell phone, it's probably free right now because you get those evening and weekend minutes. So give us a call, 646-502-8600. Uh, if you got something on your mind, here's another great uh, story song—not tr- not a true one, but a really awesome, fascinating one with a lot of dense detail. And it starts out with, um, "Up on a white veranda, she wears a necktie and a Panama hat." It's uh, Bob Dylan on Jazz Radio. Don't touch that dial.
0: Someone quick But the Greek said Go away To kick the chair To the floor He hung there From the chandelier She cried A Help us Danger now Please open up At the door She's out on the balcony where a stranger tells her, "My darling, devil devil blue. She sheds a tear and then begins to pray. The my burns on and the smoke takes away from a come on me. I was sitting home alone one night in L.A. watching old Cronkite on the seventh. Left nothing but a Panama hat and a barrel of quick shoes. It didn't seem like much was happening.
2: The Jester himself on Jester Radio. What a... I've often thought this would make a great uh, play or a movie, but but better a play because the detail is so intense. The lyrics are so dense. You know, the curtain rises up on a white veranda. She wears a necktie and a Panama hat. Passport shows a place, uh, a, a face from another time and place. She looks nothing like that. So we get this whole background right away with just these few words and she walks across the marble floor and you know the the remnants of her recent past are scattered in the wild wind and the morning light breaks open and a greek guy comes down <laughs> and he asks for a rope and a pen that will write and and the uh, the desk clerk says pardon monsieur and carefully removes his fez am i hearing you right so they and then he quickly heads up the stairs and she passes him on the spiral staircase and she's thinking to herself, this is, he's the Soviet ambassador. And she starts to speak, but he walks away. This is like a whole soap opera going on here. Meanwhile, a soldier sits beneath a fan doing business with a tiny man who sells him a ring. And light, all of a sudden, lightning strikes, lights blow out, desk clerk wakes up and begins to shout, can you see anything? Then the Greek appears. On the second floor, with the, in his bare feet, with a rope around his neck, and the loser in the gambling room lights a candle and says, "Open up another deck." This is all going on. So, meanwhile, the desk clerk uh, hears the woman laugh. He looks around in the aftermath. The soldier got tough, and he tried to g- grab the woman's hand. She says, "Here," he says, "Here's a ring. It cost a grand." She says, "That ain't enough." And she runs upstairs to pack her bags because she's got a horse-drawn carriage waiting at the curb, and she passes the door that the Greek had locked, and there's a handwritten sign that says, do not disturb, so we know why he needed the pen anyway, and she knocked on it anyway. And she says, i got to talk to someone quick. But the Greek said, go away and kick the chair to the floor. He hung there from the chandelier. She's still talking, crying out, help this danger near. Please open up the door. And meanwhile, the volcano erupts. The lava flows down from the mountain high above. Meanwhile, the Greek and the tiny man are crouched in the corner, thinking of forbidden love. And the desk clerk says, it happens every day. So And then, then as the island slowly sink, sank, the loser finally breaks the bank in the gambling room. The dealer says, you know, it's too late now. You could take your money, but I don't know how you'll spend it in the tomb. And now the tiny man bit the soldier's ear, and the boiler in the basement blew, and everything fucking went to shit. And then after this whole long, complicated story about all these people's intertwining lives and all the drama and all the meaning in their lives, he says, I was sitting home alone one night in L.A. watching old Cronkite on the 7 o'clock news. Seems there was an earthquake that uh, left nothing but a Panama hat and a pair of old Greek shoes. Didn't seem like much was happening, so I turned it off and went to grab another beer. Seems like every time you turn around... There's another hard luck story that you're going to hear. And there's really nothing anyone can say. And I never did plan to go anyway to Black Diamond Bay. (laughs) And in that like one moment, we realize that we hear this shit going on in the news and we don't really have the faintest idea of what the real effect is. We, we, We hear things as headlines. We don't really hear things as stories about people's lives. We, we reported this evening, our very first story was that a tornado touched down in Suffolk County, Virginia, and 200 people were injured. And I'm looking at pictures over here on my desk of just cars tossed on top of each other. A fucking whole strip mall leveled. Uh, the, 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 the thing came at 110 miles an hour and cut a, a path 300 yards wide. 900 feet from side to side and this monster just came in and just ruined these fucking people's lives and you think about wow 200 people injured man these are thousands of people whose lives are affected and it's going on right this second right now they're walking around homeless looking for their shit uh that in what's left of their homes uh you know so when i said this evening you know don't Instead of going to just the radio and hitting the donate button, go to, uh, um, you know, the Red Cross website and hit their donate button or find out what charities are, you know, going out into the street tomorrow, handing out blankets in Suffolk County, Virginia, and do something about that. Use your, you know, 10 bucks for that, because we hear these stories and we think to ourselves, yeah, man, something happened in fucking some place I'll never go to, man. These are people just like you. These are people whose lives are fucking just turned to shit in one split second. And, you know, say what you will about, uh, you know, what's going on in this country with the economy and with the healthcare and uh, uh, with this ridiculous uh, presidential uh, election. Um, but what makes our fucking country the best goddamn country in the world is the fact that we help each other. When there's an emergency, we fucking stick together like glue, and these people, man, they're your people, so that's what we that's what I get out of that song. A top Iranian judiciary official warned today against the destructive cultural and social consequences of importing Barbie dolls and other Western toys in the latest salvo in a more than decade old government campaign against Barbie. Prosecutor, you heard me. General Gorban Aldori Najafabadi said in an official letter to the Vice President Parviz Davuti that the doll and the other Western toys are a danger that need to be stopped. The irregular importation of such toys, which unfortunately arrive through unofficial sources and smuggling, is destructive culturally and a social danger, said the letter, a copy of which was made available to Jest Radio. Iranian markets have been inundated with smuggled Western toys in recent years, partly due to a dramatic rise in purchasing power as a result of uh, their increased oil revenues and how shitty the U.S. dollar is doing. While importing the toys is not necessarily illegal, it is discouraged by a government that seeks to protect Iranians from what it calls the negative effects of Western culture. Najafabadi said the increasing visibility of Western dolls has alarmed authorities and they're considering intervening. The displays of personalities such as Barbie, Batman, Spider-Man, and Harry Potter, <laughs> as well as the irregular importation of unsanctioned computer games and movies, are all warning bells to the officials in the cultural arena, his letter said. Najib Abadi said Iran is the world's third biggest importer of toys, and warned that smuggled imports pose a threat to the identity of the new generation. Undoubtedly, the personality and identity of the new generation of our children as a result of unrestricted importation of toys has put at risk and caused irreparable damages, he said. Mattel, the maker of Barbie, had uh, no immediate comment. Barbie is sold wearing swimsuits and miniskirts in a society where women must wear headscarves in public and men and women are not allowed to swim together. In 1996, the head of the government backed children's agency called Barbie a Trojan horse, sneaking into Western influences such as makeup and revealing clothes. Authorities launched a campaign of confiscating Barbies from toy shops in 2002, denouncing the un-Islamic sensibilities of the iconic American doll, but the campaign was eventually dropped. Also in 2002, Iran introduced its own competing dolls, uh, Dara and Sarah, who were designed to promote traditional values. They have modest clothing and pro-family stories. The dolls proved uh, unable to stem the Barbie tide. So kids just want to play with they with what they want to play with, and even in Iran, parents want to give kids what they want, and that's just the way it is. You know, when I was a kid, my parents were like super you know liberal, commie, New York Jew types, and they forbade. uh, war toys in my house even though my father was in the toy business for 49 years um, he didn't do by the way when I was in the toy business I did plenty of war toys had no qualms whatsoever but he forbade it and forbade it from my house and let me tell you you take away a kid's toy guns you know what he does he runs around pointing his finger and saying blam 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 so you could take away the toys but you're never going to take away the play that's why we have wars, because all these people never grew up. A newlywed couple spent the night in separate uh, jail cells, she in her wedding gown, after police said they uh, brawled with each other, then uh, members of another wedding party at the suburban Pittsburgh Hotel. The fight started on Saturday night after a reception when he knocked her to the floor with a karate kick in the seventh-floor hallway of a Holiday Inn and escalated when she attacked two guests from another wedding party who came to her aid. The melee moved to an elevator, then to the lobby, where the couple threw metal planters at two good Samaritans, causing minor injuries there. It was pretty wild, said Ross Police Sergeant Dave Siska. Dentist David W. Wilchowski, 32, of Shaler and Christina Vadimo, 25, had married a month earlier in the Bahamas, but repeated their vows on Saturday for a reception Of 150 guests, they were checking into their room when the argument began. Police arrived to find the dentist laying on the lobby floor with his bride seemingly highly intoxicated, screaming at the top of her lungs. Authorities charged each with simple assault, criminal criminal mischief, and disorderly conduct, and the bride with an additional count of public intoxication. They face a May 7 preliminary hearing. A district judge considered issuing a restraining order against uh, Wilchowski, but his new bride declined the measure. The couple declined comment upon their release on Sunday. She left with her father still in her uh, white wedding gown. Wilchowski left alone sporting a swollen eye, uh, tuxedo pants, and a bloody T-shirt and one shoe. <laughs> Poor bastard. This is what you get from getting married. Don't say I didn't warn you. Police trying to find a vandal who ransacked a church didn't have far to go in their search. They arrested a man found napping inside before Sunday morning services. Officers called to the most precious blood church in Boston's Hyde Park neighborhood. About 8 a.m. found a broken stained glass window, chalices thrown about missing oriental rugs, and an open safe. Witnesses led the officers downstairs where a guy was napping. Police said the 47-year-old Charles Martin of West Roxbury resisted arrest and kicked one of the cops in the groin. A search of Martin allegedly turned up a gold spoon with religious symbols, two knives, a sword, and a vial of prescription pills. And he was arrested on multiple counts. I can't even tell you what all. It's Bob more Bob Dylan on just radio. Please don't fuck with that dial.
3: Shadows are falling. Been here all day. It's too hot to sleep, and time is running away. Feel like my soul has turned into steel. I've still got the scars at the sun. There's not even room enough to be anywhere It's not dark yet, but it's getting
1: there
3: And my sense of humanity has gone down the drain Behind every beautiful thing There's been some kind of pain She wrote me a letter As she wrote it so kind She put down and writing What was in her mind I just don't see why I should even care It's not dark yet, but it's getting there And I've been to London, and I've been to Cannes Followed the river And I got to the sea I've been down on the bottom Of a world full of lies I ain't looking for nothing In anyone's eyes Sometimes my burden yeah.
2: Time Out of Mind album, 1997. Not dark yet. Bob Dylan on Jester Radio. Very personal song, especially for a, such a you know older feller in the business. This is after he had been you know telling us about what's going on in his life for over you know 35 years. At this point, still being um, very um, very sort of uncharacteristically confessional. Uh, song Um, I was born here and I'll die here against my will I know it looks like I'm moving but I'm standing still every nerve in my body is so vacant and numb can't even remember what it was I came here to get away from don't even hear a murmur of a prayer not dark yet but it's getting there first of all there's a reference. Obviously, this is his post-Christian period, so he's saying he doesn't even have, you know, that that the religion to comfort him anymore. And how brilliant is it? To, just to rhyme prayer with there. You just don't think about that. Uh, you're listening to the ravings of a clown on Just Radio this Monday, April the twenty-eighth. It's uh, Bobby Zimmerman Day. Some folks have told me, more than uh, one, that uh, he's uh, tuned in himself a couple of times. And why not? How many people have a radio station named after them? Do hope he has. And if he's listening tonight, I don't know. How you doing, Bob? An inmate awaiting trial on a murder charge is suing the country, complaining that he's lost more than 100 pounds because of the jailhouse menu. Broderick Lloyd Laswell said he isn't happy that he's down to a slim 308 pounds after eight months in the Benton County, Arkansas jail. He's filed a federal lawsuit complaining that jail doesn't provide inmates with enough food. According to the suit, Laswell weighed 413 pounds when he was first jailed in December. Police say he was a co-defendant... Uh, rather that he and a co-defendant fatally beat and stabbed a guy and then set set his home on fire. On several occasions, I have started to do some exercising and my vision went blurry and I felt like I was going to pass out, he wrote in his complaint. About an hour after each meal, my stomach hurts and begins to growl and I feel hungry again. But Laswell then goes on to complain that he undertakes little vigorous activity. If we're in a small pot all day and do next to nothing for physical exercise, we should not lose weight. The suit says the only reason we lost weight in here is because we're literally being starved to death. The suit also asks that the county be ordered to serve hot meals. They've only served cold food for many years. The meals provided through Aramark Correctional Institution Services averages three thousand calories a day, according to Captain Hunter Patray, Um this um, the the head of the uh, food. Services for the jail system. A typical Western diet consists of two to three thousand calories a day. Um, he filed the lawsuit without a lawyer in the district district court of Fayetteville, Arkansas, proving once again that our prisoners simply have uh, much too much time on their hands. Uh, you would think this guy would be writing a fucking book uh, <laughs> on how to fucking lose a hundred pounds. Do something useful. With his life, you know, talk about how maybe cutting down on the Twinkies, you know, for eight months you can drop a hundred pounds. Maybe he could write a letter of thanks to the judge, who you know sent him on. You know, some people pay thousands of dollars to lose weight. I tell you, you know, sometimes I mean I, I I'm all for civil liberties and everything, but you know it's not punishment if all they get to do is sit around and and abuse the taxpayers' uh, system. A choir director who hopes prayer can bring down high gas prices is trying out his approach at some of the costliest pumps in the country. Rocky Twyman of Washington, D.C. came to San Francisco over the weekend to stage a pray-in at a Chevron station. (laughs) He's also calling on churchgoers to ask for God's intervention where he says politicians have failed. Gas costing $4 a gallon or more has become common Around the san francisco bay area the fifty nine year old Twyman says people praying for cheaper fuel should also walk more and use carpools just in case God isn't listening. Twyman also works as a community organizer and public relations consultant. He has led campaigns to nominate oprah winfrey uh, oprah Oprah Winfrey for the Nobel Peace Prize and to encourage African Americans to donate their bone marrow. There you go, one thing he's done that makes sense. As for the rest of that, uh, you know, it specifically says it never fails to amaze me, and I've had this argument with lots of uh, learned uh, theologists, a term that still cracks me up. It's, you know, uh, you can't get a degree in this country on being an expert in Paul Bunyan, but you can get a degree on another imaginary fictitious character, God. It's just amazing. But in fact, it specifically says in the Bible that prayer, the purpose of prayer is to praise God because he's a jealous God and he demands that you grovel constantly. It is, the word pray and praise come from the same root. So there is nothing in prayer that consists of, it's not a laundry list. It's, he's not Santa Claus that you ask for shit. And in fact, it specifically prohibits asking for shit in the bible the 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 exact phrase is you cannot petition the lord with prayer so you can't uh, use the system that god demands that you praise him you can't abuse that to ask for shit that you want and of course for you know millennia people have gotten around this found a loophole through this by only asking for shit for other people supposedly it's only good to ask for something for other people. If you ask for something for yourself, that's considered, I don't know what. I don't even know what the the scales are. But uh, here's a guy who apparently is a person who owns a Bible and may have actually read portions of it from time to time. You would think that he's run across uh, that little detail. Modesto, California police are blaming a scratching cat for an accident that toppled a power pole and shut down a street for nearly an hour. Police sergeant said on Friday that a woman was driving with a cat in her lap. The animal scratched her and she drove into the pole. The woman uh, suffered minor injuries. She didn't surf. She suffered minor injuries and she was taken to the hospital. The cat was taken to the vet. Uh, He had hurt his little eye. Uh, On Wednesday, the Assembly Appropriations Committee approved a bill by Assemblyman Bill Mays that would make it illegal to drive with a pet in your arms or in your lap in Modesto, California. So, we need to get rid of uh, all these uh, people that are driving. <laughs> just another law we need to make. It can't be that people have been driving around with dogs and cats in their lap for decades, and the one time it fucking happens, everybody else now it's just another one of these fucking things. Where the government feels they need to intervene for our own safety and our own good with another rule of what we're not allowed to do. It always, every time I hear about one of these ridiculous little reaction laws, I always think about that scene in Bananas, you know, in the Woody Allen movie at the end, after this guy, you know, overturns the wicked dictator and he gets up and he starts telling everybody they have to change their underwear on Tuesdays and Thursdays and they have to wear their underwear outside their pants so they can be inspected, you know. Uh, And Woody Allen says, you know, they're all the fucking same. They're all just fucking lunatics. There's no difference between any of them. Seeing the arrow on the doorpost saying, this land is condemned all the way from New Orleans to Jerusalem. More Jester on Jester Radio. This is a goodie. Maybe my favorite one of all. Leave it where it is. Seen the arrow on the
0: dump in this land is condemned all the way from New Orleans to Jerusalem I travel i See
2: is in his heaven. We all want what's his. But power and greed and corruptible seed seems to be all that there is. I'm gazing out the window of the St. James Hotel, and I know no one can sing the blues like Blind Willie McTell, the brilliant and mysterious haunting song by uh, Bob Dylan was actually recorded during the uh, Big Pink years up in Woodstock with his old bud um, uh, J. Robbie Robertson and Dylan was playing the piano and that was meant to be a demo and it just uh, fell uh, through the cracks had uh, of course uh, slipped out and it made the circuit in the um, blue legs for many years, and then uh, you know, Columbia did something very smart. They collected up the best of the bootlegs. There were thousands of them in those years. I personally have a huge collection of Dylan bootlegs, and they put together a series of you know rare, but now officially released, um, called the Bootleg Series, in you know three double albums, and it was just an awesome uh, gift to Dylan fans. Instead of, you know, fighting them in court, you know, like they would do now. Uh, You're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. uh, This Monday, April the 28th, reminding you that uh, 200 folks uh, were injured today in Suffolk County, Virginia, when a uh, tornado ripped through uh, their neighborhood, a major tornado. Uh, with widespread property damage. Um, So maybe you want to give uh, a call or whip over to that uh, Red Cross website and throw a a few uh, shekels into the thick of the fray. They're proudly displayed by any self-respecting bull, but dangling big metal ones on the back of a truck could be banned in Florida. Metal replicas of bull testicles have become trendy bumper ornaments in some parts of the Sunshine State, but State Senator Carrie Baker is campaigning to ban the orbs. Baker acknowledged that Florida lawmakers have have more pressing issues, including huge revenue shortfalls, but said the state needs to draw a line on what's obscene before more objectionable objectionable adornments appear. (laughs) I guess he's afraid that the bull dick is going to be the next thing. I find it shocking that we should be telling people that have these metallic bull testicles. You're now going to have points on your license for this, uh, said State Senator uh, Steve Geller, who argued against the bill. Geller was in the minority, but uh, Baker's bill to fine drivers $60 for displaying these ornaments past the Senate. It's now up to the House, but there's only a slim chance that members of that chamber will pass the measure before the session ends this coming Friday. If it were to be passed, Governor Charlie Crist has not indicated whether he would sign it, although he's not been too critical of this and other not-so-pressing issues. It's good to have some things that maybe aren't quite as serious to give us a little levity, the Governor said. so. It's funny to make a law against uh, something you d- you can display on your truck. Luck doesn't even begin to describe golfer Ted Kemp's round uh, last Monday. Kemp, a 12-handicapper, knocked uh, uh, two holes in one, back-to-back par threes at the Musketee Municipal Golf Course in Iowa. Kemp used a pitching wedge to sink his tee shot in the third hole from 130 yards out. Then, after remarking to his group that it would be something if he repeated the feat, he did just that. Kemp grabbed an eight-iron, nailed a hole in one, from 182 yards out to the eighth hole. He says the feat was more luck than skill, calling it pretty unreal. He finished the day with a 78. A study by Golf Digest in 2000 said the odds of getting two holes in one in the same round is 67 million to one. So that's it. The guys, I would think his good luck has pretty much expired. So I would think... (laughs) that's it some people say oh go play the lotto now you know or some bullshit but uh, I say that's it he blew his good luck on that hey you've been listening to the ravings of a clown on Jest radio this Monday April the 29th so very um, uh, pleased and honored that you uh, decided to stop by and spend a little of your time with us this evening we will meet in that place where darkness never comes that's my solemn oath to you Until that time, Eustace. Our conversation was short and sweet. Nearly swept me off my feet. But I'm back in the rain. And you are on dry land. You made it there somehow. You're a big girl now. Good night. I'll see you tomorrow.
0: It was short and sweet It nearly swept me Off of my feet And I'm back in the rain He's singing a song for me at his own expense, and I'm just like that bird, oh, singing just for you. I hope that you can hear, hear me singing through these tears. It moves too fast Oh, but what a shame That all we've shared can't last I, I can change, I swear Whoa. Boom! But what's the sense of changing horses in midstream I'm going out of my mind Oh, with a pain that stops and starts Like a corkscrew down my heart Ever since we've been apart